Welcome to the latest episode of Rustler's Roundup. The At The Flicks team love westerns and in a series of pod shorts we talk about some of the best of the genre from our lifetime. We are presenting 20 audio essays on some of the greatest western movies of the last 60 years. Saddle up and ride along with Jeff the Kid, Itchy Trigger Finger Graham and Snake Eyes Neil. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, I wrote it, Neil. Today, we are discussing Ralph Nelson's controversial 1970 Western, Soldier Blue. You sure that's from a Western? Sounds more in keeping with Woodstock, or where Jeff lives, Stroud. That's a fair comment, especially about Stroud. Yes, the music is very much in keeping with the time the film was made, as is the theme of the film. While it is a Western that famously recreates infamous Sand Creek Massacre of 1864 and its bloody climax, it is also referencing the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam during 1968. However, we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about the ending of the film. Let's talk plot first. 1877, I know the real incident happened in 1864, but let's not go there. Colorado Territory and a small group of cavalrymen are escorting an army pay wagon as well as a young woman to Fort Reunion. Along the way, they're ambushed by Cheyenne warriors who are after the pay chest. Only the woman, Cresta Lee, played by Candice Bergen, and a cavalry private, young Honus Gant, played by Peter Strauss, managed to escape with their lives. The two have to make their way on foot to the fort across many miles of hostile territory. Honus has no real understanding of how to survive in the wild. Luckily, Cresta does. She had lived among the Cheyenne for two years before being brought back to the white man's world. With two very different personalities, it isn't long before they are at odds over just about every subject you can think about, as the following dialogue exchange shows. Coming out here to kill themselves a real live engine, putting up their forts in a country they've got no claim to. So what the hell do you expect the Indians to do? Sit back on their butts while the army takes over their land? You saw for yourself what they did, taking off scalps. Yeah, and who taught them that little trick? The white man. Oh, and cutting off hands? And cutting off feet and cutting off... I know what they cut off, but at least they don't make tobacco pouches out of them. Uh Uh-uh. That's something else you soldier boys made up. You're lying. Fighting with each other, faced with a dangerous landscape, the Kiowa Indians, intent on killing them both, and an encounter with a strange but devious trader, Isaac Q. Cumber. Yes, that is his name. Donald Pleasant. It is remarkable that they survive at all. However, they do, and ultimately they're rescued by the main cavalry force. The danger doesn't end there, as our two heroes quickly realise the army are preparing a revenge attack for the death of the cavalry escort. Their target, the Cheyenne Indian village, the place Sand Creek. It does have an incredibly brutal climax. Yeah, it certainly does. And I must point out the print I saw for this review is not one that is legally available in the UK. 
Now, while it had a few small edits from the version I first saw back in 1975, it is almost the complete film as originally released. Over the years, more and more of that climax has been edited for various video and DVD releases. I think almost five minutes have now been removed in the official UK release. More about the censorship issues which surround Soldier Blue later on. Let's firstly go back to the opening comment that this is a film very much of its period. It recreated a horrendous crime, but also captured something of the mood of America at the end of the 1960s. The Vietnam War was raging and the country split in its view on that subject. Funnily enough, something that we'd previously covered in our First Blood special. All of this turmoil is reflected in Soldier Blue. It is, however, an oddly structured film, which has annoyed a number of critics over the years. The best way to describe this is to look at the three acts of the film. Act one is the massacre of the cavalry guard by the Indians. I think you meant Native Americans. You're correct there, Neil. However, remember, we're dealing with Jeff. I think somewhere in his old-fashioned brain, he is trying to illustrate how a traditional Western of the period would have treated the Native Americans. At least, I hope he is. To further explain, this first act reflects decades of the traditional Western and its expectations. Yet, there are also moments where it plays against the tropes. For example, the film starts with the dirty, dusty and ragtag cavalry troop waiting for their commander to finish in an outhouse. This less than sparkling view of the West was to reoccur in the early 70s in such films as Doc and the Culpepper Cattle Company. However, here it also shows a group of men about to be led into an ambush, mainly because they don't understand the land in which they are fighting. Sounds familiar for the 1960s. Shortly after, when the attack begins, the first violent action is a young soldier getting shot in the face in slow motion. This is, of course, a recall to the Wild Bunch with all its slow motion brutality. And make no mistake, this Cheyenne attack is brutal. Savage killings and scalpings. There is even a moment when the paymaster, in panic, waves a white flag to surrender. He is brutally cut down. Remember that, as we will talk about a juxtaposition to that sequence which occurs in the finale. What, of course, is not shown is why the Cheyennes are attacking. They need the money to buy guns, which comes into Act 2. The reality as to why this was happening, and outside the scope of the film, was because the Cheyenne were being forced from their lands because gold had been found there. This was part of their way of fighting back as they felt betrayed by both their leaders and the American government. So, while Act 1, on the surface at least, is very traditional with its Western tropes, as for Act 2, well, it's essentially a love story. I'm sorry, could you run that past me again? A love story. That's right, and it's so out of kilter with the other two parts. It is also the main take from its source material, T.V. Olsen's book, Run of the Arrow. As you heard in the dialogue clip earlier, these are two young people with very different viewpoints. A young, idealised soldier who is fighting because his father died at Little Bighorn, and a tough, independent woman who has lived amongst Native Americans, although how she ended up there is a matter of conjecture. In a sense, this was the argument raging in America at the time, 
Candice Bergen represents the intellectual and Peter Strauss the soldier who just wants to do right by his country, even if he doesn't understand why. At one point, when Bergen rails against America and its treatment of the Native Americans, Strauss says, Our country is neither damned nor foolish, a mantra he will come to regret. Now, all of that sounds very heavy and pretentious, which it is not. Candice Bergen plays the character as feisty and with a great deal of tough humour. Peter Strauss is essentially the straight comic man. As a result, their African queen-type journey and romance seems natural and appealing. It helps make their adventures on their journey both tense and exciting. There is the encounter with the Kiowas who challenge Honus to a fight to the death. Also the meeting with the mercurial Isaac Cumber, wonderfully played by Donald Pleasance. Perhaps the best moment is when Craster is hiding a wounded Honus from Cumber. The tension in that sequence is almost palpable. It sounds fine, but is it out of place in this Western, which is essentially about a brutal and horrifying massacre? I say no. The third act is so horrific, you need someone to guide you through it. I'll give you a comparison. The first act of Saving Private Ryan is brutal in the extreme, and your guide through it is Tom Hanks. We all know and love Hanks, so we follow him on his shocking and unforgettable journey through hell. Without him, it's just a series of random brutal images. The same here. You have come to care for these two characters, and while they play only a small part in the actions on screen in the finale, they are our guides and give it grounding. It is time now to move on to the third act. Even the beginning of the film warns you about the end. Soldier Blue starts with a caption stating that the end of the film is going to be horrific, as Jeff said. So horrific that some of the worst of it had to be censored over the years. Just before we talk about that ending, I just want to bring up potential contradictions within the film that occurred before the violence started. Spotted Wolf, played by Jorge Rivero, who was the leader of the Braves who killed the cavalry at the beginning, wants to sue for peace. Why? Is this because the guns he wanted to buy are no longer available due to Honus destroying the guns they were going to buy off Cumber? or a genuine change of heart to protect his people. It is an interesting ambiguity. At this point, Spotted Wolf rides out to the cavalry with a white flag, which is as ignored as the one waved by the paymaster at the beginning. Now, that is an interesting point to show that both sides can be equally brutal and without mercy. There are no niceties in war. Following the desecration of the white flag, there is a more standard cowboys against Native Americans as the outnumbered and poorly armed Cheyenne warriors are killed. After that, the victorious cavalry march into the village where the massacre begins. The soldiers kill as many women and children as they can. They are led in the film by a character called Colonel Iverson, a wonderfully cold and evil performance by John Anderson, who is made to look a lot like General George Custer. In reality, the leader of that force was Colonel John Chivington, who looked nothing like Custer. However, the myth of Custer had been somewhat exposed in the years leading up to the making of Soldier Blue, so it was an easy film shorthand to make. 
And also, it referenced the politicians like Nixon on TV nightly talking about the need for the war and the decline of morality in American youth. Indeed, going back to Soldier Blue, at one point, Iverson, upon seeing Cresta and Honus, remarks, when I see young people today behaving like that, I can't help wondering what this goddamn country is coming to. Great line. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Something I would say. Now, now while we you focus, did. oh yeah, I did. Yeah, right. Uh, while we have focused so far on plot and themes, we haven't spoken about the director Ralph Nelson. Apart from a couple of dated long zooms in the early part of the film, he does a fantastic job here. He keeps it intimate, yet uses the widescreen ratio to excellent effect to show the beautiful landscapes and the distances initially between the two main characters. His voice is really found in that climax. Even though there are some censor cuts in the final massacre of the women and children, it is full of very powerful and brutal moments. Now, you'll notice I'm not describing them. That is because this is something that has to be experienced. When I first saw Soldier Blue on a re-release in the UK in 1975, I left the cinema stunned and almost in shock. This is how it should be seen, raw and shocking. I do not agree with the cuts as it reduces the power of the event and the impact of the film. Let me give you an example without going into too much detail. Ralph Nelson, who filmed this in Mexico, employed a technique which was later used in Saving Private Ryan. He employed real-life amputees so that the wounds inflicted looked very realistic. In fact, his initial preview print was far more excessive than the version I saw in the cinema. That one, and the one I rewatched for this article, was 115 minutes long. The preview print was 135 minutes long, and I have your description of some of the excesses in that version. In fact, one preview audience who saw it were threatening to kill both the director and producer after watching the horrors unfold on screen. And as shocking as all this is, it pales in comparison with the real Sand Creek Massacre. The details of that can be found online. I don't think it's fitting to describe them here, and I would be very careful before you go read them. Was Soldier Blue a success because it was so powerful in its impacts? In everywhere but America, yes. In fact, the UK was where it saw its biggest success. It was the third biggest hit of the year, behind The Aristocrats and the classic On the Buses the Movie. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> Jeez, you can't get more different than that, can you? <laughs> In the US, it was just seen as a Vietnam Western and people were just not interested in watching it. A shame as this revisionist film certainly deserves to be seen. It has not only been called revisionist, it's also been referred to as anti-American and exploitation because of that shocking ending. But it is to me Western cinema being used to successfully make statements on modern society and to remind us of events we would rather forget. A measure of the success of the film is, if you take away the brutality of the climax, it remains a strong story, exceptionally well told, and full of interesting characters. Thanks for that, Jeff. What do our listeners and other contributors say about Soldier Blue? Not many have seen it. Phil Stubbs, one of the few who have, said, didn't like it much, felt like an exploitation flick. Another of our Western fan listeners, Simon Arnett, says he saw it years ago but was not blown away by it. 
from Steve, a listener who also knows his Westerns, Soldier Blue is a formulaic knockabout Western that transforms into a powerful anti-war movie in its harrowing and graphic closing scenes, a kind of saving Private Ryan in reverse. Let's compare that to some professional critic comments. Roger Ebert said at the time of its release, Soldier Blue is too mixed up to qualify as a serious allegory about anything, and although it is pro-Indian, it is also white chauvinist. Professor Sir Christopher Frayling, an authority on Westerns, called it a much more angry film than many of its contemporaries. And Dotson Radar, writing in the New York Times, said, What a staggeringly powerful, magnificent film Nelson has created. Soldier Blue must be numbered among the most significant, the most brutal and liberating, the most honest American films ever made. If we have now persuaded you to check this out or revisit it again, please let us know what you think. In the meantime, we will play out with some of Roy Budd's score for Soldier Blue. See you on the range again shortly. Let's ride, guys! (laughs) 